To paraphrase Hunter S. Thompson, when you get locked into a serious beer collection, the tendency is to push it as far as you can. Cheers. Son of a bitch! Give me a drink! Welcome back to episode 7 of the Tap Takeover Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kuhn, and I'm here with my three best drinking buddies. Andy. Jim. Jesus. And we have a special treat for you guys. But before we get into that, just wanted to say thank you. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. We just passed 2,500 downloads this past week with only six episodes. Guys, let's give a cheers to our listeners. Cheers. 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 We'd also like to thank Lakefront Brewing, Milwaukee Brewing Company, Mobcraft, Ray's Grain, and most recently, drumroll please, Half Acre Brewing Company, who we just visited this past weekend, talked with Kelly Playtech, the sales representative, and Matt Young, the head brewer. Guys, what was that like for you? I think we made it, man. We're on our way. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun stepping outside of our comfort zone, being here just in Milwaukee, but it makes it seem like we can go anywhere. It was a fantastic experience. A lot of respect and admiration for Half Acre, and they're making tremendously great beers on there in Chicago, and it was really fantastic to see that large of an operation. I think what was even cooler it's a large operation but they still were able to work with us you know small guys from milwaukee and they were really cool can't say enough i just think it was a great jump for us into the big pool that is the chicago brewing market right now i mean as uh, matt said in the in the interview there's over 80 breweries that have opened in the chicagoland area in the past five years and uh we're just bringing a little bit back to milwaukee with the half acre because they recently started distributing here and that's been a really fun tale to tell a brewery that started contract brewing with sand creek uh here in wisconsin and then ventured back to Chicago, started their own deal, and now, 10 years later, coming back to the state where they very first started. So, Jesus, we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag, but tell us about who's taking over the taps on the Tap Takeover podcast today. Well, it's going to be Half Acre, and it's going to be four different variations of their big hugs. We're actually going to start with the Imperial Style with coffee and vanilla, 10% uh, ABV, so... We'll start feeling this pretty quick. Yeah, and a big shout out to Kelly with an eye for graciously donating uh, this beer for us to enjoy tonight. Actually, you guys were there at the big hugs thing. And we we touched on that before, but I mean, can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so uh, early December, we were out there for uh, what, what was it, Andy? About three hours in the cold and the snow. Yeah, it was it was it was the coldest day at our little uh, mini beercation we took. It was the the end of the road. It was the last stop before home and. Uh, yeah, if you if you happen to listen to our episode three, Michigan Beercation, you're going to hear a lot of drinking and a lot of fun stories about uh, an epic uh, beer vacation that Andy and I took to Michigan, Indiana, and finally Chicago at Half Acre Brewing. So you guys were there for three hours standing in line. Were there any fun stories of waiting in line? Did you guys do any bottle shares? We weren't involved in any of the bottle shares. It was kind of the tail end of the weekend for us. Oh, we, okay. Our livers were taking a little bit of a break. Uh, we had to drive back to Milwaukee in a snowstorm 
storm. So we were kind of taking it easy, but we did see a lot of bottle share. The people are opening bottles from the Dark Horse 4 Elf Party. The Winter Warmer, they were opening. The, oh. the Bourbon Barrel Age Plead the Fifth. I think uh, I six saw pairs one of, of legs. I saw the Burb Rum. Yeah, so they were opening some of those. I, I did see a Black Note, which we also enjoyed on our episode three. So they, there were some big bottles being opened. So did you guys try this on tap, Big Hugs there? Or was it only available in the bottles? So the cool part about the Big Hugs release party is, is Half Acre, these folks really go all out. I mean, you saw how cool everyone we dealt with was at the brewery, and that extends to their release parties. There was, uh, in, the, in the line still, they came out and handed out hand warmers to pe- people. Dark Matter Coffee, who they partner with for Big Hugs, gave free coffee out to people in line. And then when you got inside, you got to taste everything you bought before you even purchased it. And there was also rare one-offs that will never be around again that they were just sampling. Yeah, uh, just trying to get some feedback on some ideas that they were maybe doing for next year's Big Hugs. So yeah, there, there was a lot of stuff that you absolutely couldn't get another day of the year. We didn't we didn't stay for a full pour, but like Andy said, they were walking around with pitchers, and you had a little tasting glass, and you got to try just about everything that they had. It was really a fun event. They even had uh, little snacks, you know, little snacks. They had a DJ in the rafters. Quite an event. Quite an event. So you tried this on tap the day of. I'm curious to see what you think, if there's any differences or anything off the being in the bottle. Yeah, I, I think that's a great opportunity to uh, to get into this first beer. So we're going to do all four variations. There's the, the Coffee Imperial Stout Big Hugs. There's the Vanilla Variation, which is the first one that we're going to try. The Barrel Aged Version. The Salted Chocolate Espresso Big Hugs, which, in my opinion, was the best one. Andy, did you have a favorite? That was my favorite, but I think the favorite that I actually tasted there is they had a hazelnut variation of Big Hugs that they actually poured just the samples while we waited in line. Now, we had tried just previously in I believe it was episode three hazel's nuts from odd side I, I remember you didn't mm-hmm. care for that one because you said it was too much hazelnut but this one you, you this one you enjoyed no that, that was me oh that was you Jim yeah I'm not the big hazelnut fan I'm not really that was a long night I can see how we can confuse <laughs> each other uh, so Jim I'm gonna kick it to you first what uh, what are you picking up on this vanilla variation on the coffee imperial stout big hugs yeah so definitely getting the vanilla on the nose and on the uh, front of the palate immediately following that is definitely coffee they didn't spare any expense on the coffee and, and as we'll hear in the interview they go to great expense and a lot of work to put coffee in to their beers this they don't uh, just throw some coffee grounds in there and hope for the best and it really shines through in this beer uh, I'm not normally a big vanilla fan, but I think for this it, it comes off really well. And they actually pointed out that they had kind of drawn back on the vanilla a little bit this year. There may have been some complaints the year before, a little too much vanilla. I, I think it's it's kind of subtle. I mean, there's a lot of vanilla in it, Yeah. but it's it's definitely more subtle than some other vanilla variations of Imperial Stouts that I've had. Jesus, what do you think? No, definitely the vanilla. I think it's still a lot of vanilla. That's not just me, and I definitely think it's boozy. I mean, oh, yeah. I think it's, it's smoky. Yeah, it's definitely dry. I mean, yeah, it finishes very dry. Yeah, almost like a wine, kind of. I think it's just, I agree with Jesus. The vanilla is a bit too much for me. I love the coffee flavor on the back end, but I think the vanilla actually kind of adds to that booziness a little bit for me. Hmm. To me, it, yeah, to me, it's just really boozy. I don't know why, but just, it should be a lot smoother. And I know they, as 
you will hear in the interview that they don't want aging or they don't believe in it, but I would actually age this beer just to take that edge off. The longer it ages, the more the vanilla will fall off. Yeah, that'll fall off, the booziness will fall off, and I think it'll be a just smoother beer. So Andy, you were there at the event with me. You picked up the same allotment that I did, but you actually traded a, f- a few of yours, including the vanilla. Do you think that was a good trade on your part, or, or do, would you want to take that one back after trying it? You know, on my part, I, I'd do it again. I traded both of my vanillas that I got. I traded most of my allotment of big hugs because they're in demand. I mean, they literally, literally only had 12 to 15 cases of each of the variations. So there is so, such high demand. What I received back was well worth the trade, in my opinion. And just to recap on the variations, we do have them all, right? All that were available on bottles. All that were available at the party in Bombers, we, we have. Okay, yep. excellent. All right, well, let's let's get straight into the interview here. I, I think we've meandered about about this uh, this first beer. So we will be back after the first portion of the interview. We're going to have some beer news for you, some festival news, three more variations on the big hugs, and we will see you then. Welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast Brewery Interview Series. We're here today with a very special episode, sitting down with Half Acre Brewing to discuss everything from beer style conceptions to marketing strategies and label art to new collaborative endeavors. Half Acre began brewing in 2007, doing a contract series through a brewery in Wisconsin, and now 10 years later, they have returned to the state of Wisconsin through a huge market rollout campaign. Already having garnered a cult-like following at their Northside Chicago Brewery Taproom facility on Lincoln Avenue, in 2015, Half Acre expanded to their Balmoral facility to expand their ever-increasing production line. And that is where we find ourselves today on the Tap Takeover podcast as we sit down with head brewer Matt Young and brewery sales representative Kelly Playtech to chat about Half Acre Brewing. How are you both doing today? Doing really good. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming. It's a a real honor to sit down with you guys. And we just wanted to, to know, first off, what was your introduction to craft brewing for each of you? What was the path that brought you to Half Acre Brewing on Chicago's north side? For me... So my my introduction to craft brewing was probably having my first craft beer uh, in college, which was Goose Island IPA. And it was just like, you know, I'd never had something so bitter and so disgusting that I <laughs> wanted another one just to like experience that again, figure out what had just what had just hit me. So I started with that and got into home brewing. Then I, I got into biology and science of brewing and all that sort of stuff. Took a detour through grad school which is what led me to Chicago and then from grad school I started working here at the brewery uh, that was seven seven years ago. So did you have the opportunity to take any brewing classes in college? Was that even a thing back then? Actually it was yeah I went to school in Kentucky and I was in the first class uh, ever uh, at, at my college of uh, take of a history and science of brewing and of beer and brewing and it was uh, you know as a senior in college for this class to get created out of nowhere right in time for me to get to take it because I had just turned 21 it was a class where we would learn the history of beer we'd learn about the science of beer and then we went through a bunch of different styles and did a homebrew in class of each style and then when our beers were ready to drink the teacher brought in commercial examples of the style we brewed and we got to taste our homebrew alongside the, the commercial beer and I was just like this is great I'm in college getting a high, an upper level biology credit for this 
class that I'm taking. For drinking beer, yeah. yeah. For brewing beer. <laughs> yeah, so you were on your way to a PhD, but you haven't finished that, but you took a big leap in coming in here. How was that experience? It was it was amazing. Yeah, so I, I was. I was in a PhD program, and I decided that I didn't really want any of the jobs that would require me to have that degree anymore. Half Acre tweeted out at the time that they were hiring or looking for a deckhand position at, at the old brewery, which was, uh, it just kind of covered every possible aspect of cleaning and, and labor that could have gone on at the brewery at the time. Um, so I immediately basically just dropped everything I was doing and sort of forced my way in for an interview, and which was a very informal process at the time. So, <laughs> so you've uh, seen the full journey then, right? Full journey just here at Half Acre. Almost, yeah. So that's a pretty low position to come into a brewery. How did you get to be head brewer? Um, I think just time and time and commitment and having the the interest and the knack for it. Yeah, you know, as we grew, I just sort of took on more responsibilities and found myself in new positions over time. And Kelly, how about you? How did you find your way to Half Acre? Well, it all kind of started with New Belgium. Uh, I have a lot of friends out in Colorado and I was always kind of fascinated with you know the mountains and uh, I didn't really have much attraction towards beer when I was younger but I had my first fat tire maybe a little bit before 21. <laughs> I don't like to talk about that. But, um, it was forced upon me let's say uh, but after I had my first you know amber my first beer with flavor sure. uh, it kind of blew me away and that was actually around the same time that they launched Bombers of Fat Tire in Chicago. So I might be dating myself a little bit here. <laughs> that was huge for me, getting uh, getting any beer that wasn't Bush Light in yeah. my system uh, really inspired me. And then, you know, I tried for my first beer when I was 21 was New Holland Dragon Milk. Uh, and at that time, I was also working at a small pizza place and brewery in Chicago. I was serving tables there. It was a microbrewery. It's called Peace. In that place, you know, I just started working there because I was in college and I needed some money on the side. But at the same time, my brother, who actually lives in Milwaukee, had started brewing for Miller. He started as their pilot brewer, and he was working on like a mirrored 10-barrel system. And so he was getting interested in beer, and I started working at a microbrewery, so just kind of became like a family thing. Uh, every Christmas, you know, we would bring home our new beers and he would brew beers for me for my birthday and, you know, it just kind of kept evolving. Um, he got a little bit deeper. Now he manufactures breweries nationally and uh, I started working at Half Acre after five years at that other brewery. And when I started at Half Acre, I was working in the retail store, which a lot of people start out at because I was the only person of 16 of us at the time that had worked at a bar or restaurant. I opened the tap room. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, everything, everyone wears a lot of hats here. You know, we're still a very small company. At the time, we were much smaller. I've been here about five and a half years. You know, we did whatever we could to make the brewery run. How many employees currently? Around 80, I believe, right? Sounds about right. Somewhere, somewhere around 80. A lot of taproom people, some event help, but for full-time. And what's, what's fun about the podcast is we're doing our interview right here in the production facility. So you're going to hear some of those employees. You're going to hear yeah. some, <laughs> some hooping and hollering and, uh, I and some production. I apologize in advance. Oh, no. <laughs> we, we love it. We, we, we Love. It's Friday afternoon in the brewery. So. You, know, you know what? I'd be high-fiving my co-workers if I was making this beer, too. Yeah. No, we, we love hearing the sounds. We love hearing the sounds of an actual brewery in production. And we love the fact that you guys are, are 
very much a, a family kind of brewing, uh, that, that sort of feeling. Can you guys talk about that? What, what does it mean to be a part of Half Acre? Yeah, I think that one of the main focuses that, that has been with Half Acre from as, for as long as I've, I've been here is a focus on culture and uh, workplace positivity and you know just making, making sure that everyone is, is really excited about what they're doing here and happy to be here and has a, is, is taken care of. I agree with that. When we were doing hiring for the tap room, one of the first things that we would discuss about the new hires was, could we go on vacation with this person? You know, like, do you have good vibes? Do you feel like you can spend multiple days in a row and make sure that you guys are going to maintain that positivity and, you know, you're going to still have the interest and you're able to work that closely with someone all the time? Because when you're here, we all spend our lives here, to say the least. And if you can't spend your life with someone else, then you probably shouldn't work together. So it's really nice to have a company that really cares about who they hire. We take a lot of pride in the people that work here. And, you know, even if they aren't from another brewery or have 10 years of experience doing what they're applying for, if they vibe and they're good at just jumping in and being independent and, you know, growing with the brewery, and they'll probably get a job. Well, speaking of jumping in, let's yeah. jump right into the beers here. On our podcast, we like to encourage our brewers to tell their brewery story through their beers. If Half Acre were to take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast, which of your many eclectic beers would you choose to tell that story? I feel like the first beer that I would start with would probably be the first beer we ever did, which was lager. At the time, that beer told a lot about what was happening in craft beer slash not happening in craft beer. Um, you know, at the time, macro about 10 years ago was everywhere. Chicago was old style, old style, and old style. I think it's really awesome that we tried to kick off our brewery with a lager, uh, which I feel like taught us a lot to start as a brewery. You know, having a turnover of either two weeks or five weeks for brewing a beer makes a huge difference as a small brewer. So I think we realized right off the bat that we'd have to brew an ale. So I would maybe include over ale, but I think Daisy Cutter was really the next big step. You'd have to. You'd yeah. have to include yeah. Daisy Cutter for talking to half acre. You know, I, I hate leaving over ale out because that beer is amazing. Uh, our stylist wonder, which was a brown ale. <laughs> do you but, guys still still produce that lager? Is that still uh, we have done it? Okay. Let's see, we made it last we'll year. We'll do it once a year. At yeah, least. just about okay. once a year. For the tap room. So it's not really retired. It's just kind of in the bullpen. Yeah, we call totally. it a legacy beer. Nice. Ooh. All right. Yeah, that's classy. Um, <laughs> but then I would say Daisy Cutter because at the time that was, I mean, people were looking for that beer you could smell four seats down at the bar, and which was a new thing. Like when Matt had his first bitter goose IPA. IPA. You know, people just they craved it. They wanted something with flavor and something that excited their palate. Getting Daisy Cutter to where it is today took a long time. I feel like development-wise, hops were at the will of our agriculture, and figuring that out was a huge process, and getting the recipe down and consistent and where we wanted it. And then the next beer I would choose would probably be Gone Away, formerly known as Sunita, formerly known as Yoka, <laughs> just because I feel like that beer kind of put us back on the map. You know, we were doing Daisy Cutter for a long time, and it was getting really hot and you know we love daisy cutter but we were looking for something with a little more just like pep in your step a little more oomph and you know when it got that silver at gabf we felt it you know as much as we try not to take we try to take it with a grain of salt get too wrapped up in yeah the, the, with the awards. awards and stuff yeah. like that like you don't brew for the awards but yeah but when it happens it sure it's really is, exciting it sure is nice that that little bit of validation of what you've been working so hard for yeah. sure. those 10 12 18 plus hour days yeah exactly and then the last two Man, I'd have to say Gin Barrel Aged Pony 
which I give all the credit nice. to Matt, uh, because that beer really shows our creativity and our ability to do more than hoppy beers and to play around with barrels and do something truly unique that pours out of a barrel. And then the last one, hmm, I might have to go with tuna because it's the best gosh darn beer <laughs> that I've been drinking, and I can't stop. Like Speaking I can't stop. Tuna. Speaking of tuna, it was in my cup. We should mention we're doing a live tasting as as we do here on the Tap Takeover podcast. So uh, yeah, tell us about this tuna. This is one of your uh, brand new beers. So it's 4.7%, and I just feel like the craft beer scene has gone kind of back to that approachable, you want to drink more than one beer, Pilsners are becoming more popular, so are really low ABV beers like this one that happens to have all of the qualities of the IPA, but without all of the alcohol that makes you fall on your face. Um, So that might be why I like it, but I've just noticed the trend, at least in Chicago, that people are going back to more sessionable, drinkable beers. So tell us about this beer specifically. Take us from uh, the concept of the beer to the production of the beer to the marketing of the beer. How how do you take that for one of these brand new beers that I'm sure we'll be seeing in Wisconsin before too long? Lead us along that path. Oh, I think that we've probably been brewing this beer for a handful of years now. It used to be called Golden Tuna, and we, we would brew draft-only batches for the tap room and, and the shop. I actually don't know off the top of my head when the first year that we brewed it was. I don't know if you know, but it's probably been three years at, at least, I would say. Yeah. And uh, it was probably born out of just playing around with some of the newer hop varieties that were coming uh, becoming available. So Mosaic was, was the one in, in this beer that that is featured. It's a uh, mosaic and centennial hops. And uh, yeah, just the desire to make a beer that was extremely drinkable. And like Kelly said, you don't have to have the alcohol component that comes along with a hoppy beer to have the, the hop impact and the, the level of flavor that makes it really enjoyable. So we just wanted to see if we could pull that off. Basically try to craft a beer that was deceivingly low alcohol while not tasting as, as watery as, as it could. Using some specialty malts to kind of boost the, the body of the beer to make it drink a, li- a little bit bigger than you might expect it to be. Uh, and then just trying to figure out how to use the hops in the right ratios to have the aroma come through and just the right amount of bitterness where you know it's not like a totally bracing IPA bitterness, but it's firm enough to just make it dry and drinkable and refreshing, but with enough substance there. Uh, yeah, so we, we played around with it. We brewed three or four different versions of it over the years, and it's just one of those things where a lot of these beers that we end up putting into cans, they just sort of organically happen that way. Not necessarily every single one, but I would say the majority of all of our beers that are production level in cans, were, or it was organically decided by everybody that works at Half Acre that that beer has got to be made on a larger scale because we all just can't stop talking about it. We all can't stop drinking it. You know, you sort of like immediately know when you've brewed a beer that's going to be become something more than just a one-off. We're also really lucky to have the tap room, you know, so we can tell based on numbers what's popular just, you know, by the consumer. Um, and when we sell 10 kegs of a beer in a week, it's a hit. Oh shit, yeah. You know? <laughs> that's an oh uh, shit And then moment. we did a little test out in the market last year. We did a drop once a quarter um pretty decent drop too probably around like 60 kegs i mean they flew we had a very small amount of people that could bring it in and when those trailblazing map rooms craft beer bars can sell a lot of that beer then you know 
that people like it on top of just us. So. And usually I feel like we line up pretty well with how yeah. things work out out in the, the rest of the city. But yeah, For the most part. We, you know, we're not like we're not setting up some sort of focus group to <laughs> taste, taste yeah. their beers well, the and decide what's good. Yeah. says your focus group. Got a focus yeah. group who pays for yeah. to try your beer. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And where, where did the name come from? It's called Tuna for a couple lives. I, so. I don't know. Sure. Oh, it, you know what, as, as far as a marketing perspective, yeah, when did it go from golden tuna to just tuna? Well, everyone kept ordering it as, can I have another tuna? Can I have another tuna? <laughs> beer names are hard. Trademarking is a huge part of the beer naming process. So after people just started calling it tuna all the time, we just dropped the golden and trademarked the tuna. So now it's tuna. I, I almost thought it had a uh, uh, animal house, uh, ah. maybe a, a history to ah. it or something like that. No fish were harmed no. in the making of this beer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So how many different lines of beer uh, do you guys have in your catalog at the moment, including the legacy beers, including the stuff that you guys do regularly? What, do you guys have a, a full number on that? You guys do a ton of one-offs. Too. Yeah, we do Constant over one-offs. like 60 beers a year, yeah, maybe easily. more at this point. We yep. can. Yeah, um, yeah, our... our uh, Lincoln location, we're pretty much exclusively brewing one-offs over there, and two or three beers a, a week we'll do that. You know, probably two of them are beers we've never done before. Over here, we we can four or five different beers at any given time. Some of them are seasonal, and then we are we're also we also have sort of a monthly specialty beer release calendar for beers that are brewed here at Balmoral that will go out for a little bit wider distribution footprint than just the shop or the tap room. So there's different layers of special. Yeah. I'd say it's core, seasonal, specialty, tap room, and legacy beer. Five different tiers of what we do. Well, uh, before we get too deep into our own questions, uh, we kind of put it out there to our listeners, and uh, the Tap Takeover Posse responded with, with some great questions nice. for you guys. So, um, hey guys. So Kelly Kozar from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, wanted to know, where does the name Half Acre come from? Uh, why not a full acre? Uh, <laughs> never heard that one before. <laughs> I could sort of tell it, but you know, the brewery was started by this guy, Gabriel, and he he grew up in uh, New Jersey, and there's a there's a there's a small town in in Jersey near where he grew up. The name of the town was Devil's Half Acre, and there's sort of a side story to to the history of the name for the town. But it was a, just a super small little area of land, and I think that he likened that idea to sort of having your own uh, your own like sort of escape or or small getaway. Everybody like has their own like half acre of escape in their mind somehow. I like that small acreage, small batch, that that, that kind of concept. There yeah. was also I'll just add to this that that patch of land prior to it being uh, I think it's a national park now. A, a gentleman wanted to open a bar. It was in between like two port cities. There was a bunch of gentlemen that wanted to drink, but it was like a dry area at the time. So I guess this guy uh, incorporated the land. He bought it from someone, incorporated it, made himself mayor, gave himself a liquor license, <laughs> put the only bar in. In the area, I guess a bunch of people would fight and die and kill each other, bury them underneath the bar. But I guess what I kind of got from it, and then Gabriel spent a ton of time there. This is also 1800s versus now. Oh, um, <laughs> can't really do that now. Uh, but I feel like it kind of inspired him. It could have been done in the 70s, but I feel like kind of like what you were saying, like it's it's like your place 
to do your own thing, to like have this unique, do whatever you want, you know, obviously abide by laws. That's a Create good, your own footprint, thing. sort of. Yeah, right? yeah, just, you know, be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Vince Kaur from Milwaukee. Uh, was it difficult to break into the Milwaukee market? Besides size of area, what are the main differences, challenges? competing in both Milwaukee and Chicago? It's a really great question. You know, we are still pretty new up there, so I don't think we've really seen too much challenge yet. Uh, but I think the biggest thing that we care about is quality and making sure, you know, we see the sales, but making sure that the beer is selling from the liquor store or the bar. And, you know, keeping up with that is always a challenge and making sure that beer stays fresh. Currently, we have a rep up there who works for our distributor, but calls on just our brand, uh, which is pretty cool at least in Milwaukee so he keeps an eye on code dates and freshness and all the new beers that are coming out and making sure that you know we get the proper placements at the liquor stores um, so far I mean it hasn't really been a challenge because we've wanted to send beer there for a long time and I think Milwaukee and Wisconsin itself has wanted us to be up there uh, so it's we kind have. of a reciprocal <laughs> it's a reciprocal relationship you know when we launched New York there's a little bit more of a gray area because we didn't know as much about New York. Um, but Wisconsin, I mean, we, we go to Great Taste every year. We love Milwaukee people. We, we're only an hour away, so I don't feel like we were as nervous about it. And Wisconsin can drink. So <laughs> I, I feel pretty comfortable sending our beer up there, especially in the more urban areas. Yeah, I think out of the 15 drunkest cities in America, I think Wisconsin had five of them. Yeah, so probably. So <laughs> we we can Wisconsin. drink. That's well established. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so with those code dates and your brand rep is taking care of the freshness of the beer. What happens when a beer does reach that expiration date, if we can call it? So we'll have our distributor either buy it back or swap it out with something fresh, Okay. Uh, which is really awesome. I mean, it happens occasionally. If you launch at a new liquor store and they happen to put you at the bottom left corner, sometimes you just don't get that visual sales, you know, you don't have that traffic of someone walking by and looking at your beer because it's not at eye level. So... You know, occasionally from time to time it happens, unfortunately, but our distributor is really great up there. They don't they don't worry about having to buy back product. We don't worry about that either. I mean, we don't really have to do it very often, but just knowing that we're going to have somebody keeping an eye on it and swapping out old stuff for new stuff makes me feel a lot more comfortable. Our next question is from Matt Saletti, who's from Greendale, Wisconsin. He's also one of the managers at Three Cellars, which is a craft beer and wine store it. in Menominee Falls. I know. I know Gino. Yep. What up? Gino's the owner. He would like to know, he said, it doesn't specify anywhere in his look but he's curious to know what the main hot varieties are for daisy cutter gone away in navaja Hmm. And we don't want you to give away trade secrets. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, there's actually limited technical knowledge on the website. Oh, Interesting. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there are any secrets to yeah. to the you know the ingredients that we put in, into the beers. I will gladly lay it out there for you. <laughs> so Daisy Cutter is you know there there's a number of hops in Daisy Cutter. We work hard to to we go out to the Yakima Valley yearly and sort of select the new crop of hops and all that stuff and things can ebb and flow a little bit to keep the overall flavor of the beer where we want it to be. But the predominant hops that are focused on in Daisy Cutter are Amarillo, Simcoe, Centennial, and Columbus. Always been that way. Mm. Warrior for bittering. Yep. I usually leave that one out. I know. It doesn't really you know, come one. through in the flavor or the, the aroma. No, but, but, but bittering, thanks, Kelly. bittering, especially for an IPA, is important, right? You gotta get those IBUs up. Sure. Yeah, so we, we throw a lot of hops in the kettle. The Warrior edition goes in at the 
traditional bittering time that you would you would add hops for bittering. But we're also getting a majority of our bitterness from the later additions uh, with those other hops that I just mentioned. Uh, so they're all sort of contributing in different ways to overall bitterness of the beer. Yeah, so do you have a uh, certain alpha acid uh, percentage that you try to hit for each batch? And, and overall, how do you as a production brewery really maintain that sameness throughout each batch that you make? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It's really challenging to do that as a smaller craft brewery, but with, with the volume of beer that we're making, we feel like it's very important to try to stay as consistent as possible with the beers that we're putting in cans. So when we moved over to uh, our new brewing facility here two years ago or so, we designed a lab in into the facility so that we could sort of start to monitor some of these numbers. We did as, as good as we could in the past, try to add the same amount of the same hops, keeping an eye on some of the alpha acid levels in there and, you know, basing most of it off of taste in the end, which we still do today. But now we're able to monitor, we can quantify IBUs and color and stuff like that in our packaged beer just to make sure that we're staying as consistent as possible. So we never we never really had a target for those things until we had the tools to measure and see where we were and then decide, okay, that must be our target. That's <laughs> well, what the well, it still is. sounds like if you need a QA tester, you can uh, look me up. I'll, I'll fill in for you. Yeah, we so, have a, we have a number of testers here in the brewery for sure. <laughs> so there were two other beers, the Gonaway and the Navaja. Can you tell us about uh, right. the, the hop bills on yeah, these? Yeah, the two hops well. in Gonaway and Navaja. Yeah, the hops in Gonaway are Simcoe, Chinook, Falconer's Flight. Falconer's Flight is a blend of hops, so there's like six or seven different varieties within that blend. And then Navaja is Mosaic hops, Simcoe, Citra, CTZ. and Columbus. Yeah. <laughs> CTZ. CTZ, which yes. Columbus is part of the it's the C. Uh-huh. And CTZ. But just one follow up on the hop question. You said you go out to Yakima every year. Mm-hmm. Do you guys buy up, like pre buy up stock portions of the, the hop fields? Sort of, yeah. We, we'll have hop contracts uh, so that we, we buy our hops through hop brokers, but then the brokers have to tell the farmers how much to plant of each variety. So, you know, we'll make a contract ahead of time so the farmers know what to grow. Typically uh, about four years out, right? Yeah, at least three years, if not longer. Yeah. Uh, I read an interesting article about how the prices per pound of hops has gone up significantly in the past what, four or five years, just um, because the exponential yeah. amount of breweries that are opening right now. Yeah, hops are constantly changing. There's a lot of a lot of fluctuation with in the hop market. <laughs> it seems so. Yeah, we try to. You know, it's it's important to to sign those contracts so that you can secure the hops that you need you know that you you're, you've claimed them for for when you're when we're brewing daisy cutter two years from now but there's a little give and take a little balance that you have to strike so that you you don't have all these hops contracted for a beer that suddenly three years down the road you're not even making anymore because everything happens so quickly in the brewery yeah it's an interesting dance for sure it's a really cool process Great. so let's get into more of the technical aspect of daisy cutter what are the uh the malt bill that you use, as well as do you guys have a house strain or strains of yeast? Mm-hmm. When you're deciding on some of your bigger beers, like what are some? What are the decisions for the adjuncts that you put into? Uh, so Daisy Cutter is, you know, if you if you ever have if you've ever had a Daisy Cutter, you notice that to me anyway, it has sort of a unique malt profile for a pale ale, uh, for a hoppy pale ale, and that's because we use. We, we don't have any caramel malt in Daisy Cutter, but what we use more of are bready and lightly roasted malts. 
So they're, they add a sort of a unique breadiness to the malt complexity rather than a caramel sweetness or a toffee sweetness to the malt complexity. And then in terms of yeast, we, we just have one house ale strain and one house lager strain that we brew all of our beers with. All the ales are the same same yeast, and then Pony Pilsner is, is our one lager that we maintain, our lager yeast, throughout the year. We experiment with other yeast strains at the Lincoln Avenue Brewery a lot, so we, we use a lot of strains over there for sure. And actually, there are a couple specialty beers we brew here with an English strain, but for the most part, our house ale strain is an, an American ale strain. What was the other part of it? Adjuncts or something? Oh, I was just wondering uh, when you do decide to brew with adjuncts. Uh, adjuncts meaning? Uh, you know, vanilla beans or coconut nibs. Okay. Basically anything that's not uh, Ryan Heights Gold, right? Really? Mango. Yeah. So, mango, habaneros. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> others may We've never choose, brewed with so, habaneros. Uh, and I, I, Actually, you know, as a... As a head brewer, you have a lot of influence, obviously, on what are the beers going to be made. What, how do you decide what beers you're going to brew next? Uh, well, we have uh, we have an informal, but we're trying to make it a little more formalized, sort of innovation slash research and development operation going on here. So we have we now have an official special projects brewer, Lee. He's been working at Half Acre for almost as long as I have. He's done a lot of the different production roles, and now he's he's focused on experimentation entirely. And so a lot of these ideas will start out on a very small scale. Maybe he's pulling off a single keg of a beer and adding in a strange ingredient to it, and just see just to see what we get out of that. And then we'll build. You know, how can we practically do this on a larger scale? In, in from there. But yeah, it's exciting to finally have rather than us just all running back and forth trying to do it in our spare time now have someone committed to focusing on complete experimentation and that includes with our clean barrel aging work that we're doing which we're sitting right next to our stack of barrels here and then our non-clean our mixed culture wine barrel aging that we're doing over at our other facility all right before we get into that because that was uh, very interesting because we did talk about that over there i want to talk about what goes outside of the bottle about the labels they're so unique um, what is the process there? Is it a collaborative process, artists, and what are your what are your uh, favorites? Uh, well, we have one in-house graphic designer who is amazing. Um, we force him to show up nine to five every week, which you know <laughs> artists absolutely love. Um, <laughs> is that unique amongst? It varies. You know, there are a lot of breweries that want to have different local artists create their labels, and there are some breweries that just find like Salamoth has one person that does amazing artwork for them. We found a guy who's just so versatile that it looks like some of our cans are made by different people or some of our bombers, but it's all him. I mean, from t-shirts to stickers to labels to trucks to the little things you don't even think about. The pin, the coaster, uh, he does all of it. I would say my favorite, I mean, Big Hugs. I mean, our Big Hugs has developed over the years, having the double labels. I've only actually seen that double label at one other brewery, which actually was just recently. I wonder if they had seen a Big Hugs label and got inspired from it, because I don't think it's a very normal thing. Um, But having a great graphic designer on top of great beer, on top of great owners who hire great people, it all, the synergy of it all just works out really well so we're gonna get into the the big hugs just after a little break here but uh before we do we wanted to know about the the owl and the tentacles what is the story behind that it's a very unique label and there has to be a story the squid owl yeah i feel like this (laughs) squowl um i think it's mostly 
So Phineas, our graphic designer, is awesome. Gabriel found him by this amazing World's Fair painting that he did uh, that was in octopus elephant yeah, is that the name of his actual the octopus design? yeah octopus. Okay. Um, so we knew that he liked to morph different animals and just you know get as weird as he can so I think Gabriel who our owner who went to SAIC for design school uh, well he went for photography and creative writing but um, you know he had a keen eye for design so, so multi-talented went, yeah. individual I mean I think he yeah. went to school for glass blowing yeah. to, to start <laughs> off Colorado, I mean yeah. And, yeah, a man um, of many talents Totally. So I think when he saw Phineas's octafont, it kind of inspired him. And then, I mean, the, the squid owl has developed over the years. You know, he has a mugshot now, which he got in jail. Uh, there was a time where he was like kind of hippie, like free-flowing octafont, multicolored. And I think he's developed as we grow. There's not, I don't think there's really a story behind it, though. Is there? I think I Phineas missed out just on? liked morphing animals together. Yeah, yeah. That was it. I think this is a good time to take a break, refill our cups here, and uh, get into our next taste. Yeah. Exactly. And we'll be back with some uh, some talk about the big hugs. We'll be talking about sales and marketing. We'll, we're going to get even deeper into this brewery than we already are. And we're the loving it already. everywhere are excited. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. So that's really cool that they have a artist full-time on staff, Phineas, uh, who seems to be a really cool dude, as well as a full-time woodworker. I mean, I'm not aware of any brewery that has that as well. So let's take a look at the label. can you try peeling it off, Alex? Yeah, so it uh, peels off right at the corner here, and it's a whole new label underneath, which I did not realize until the interview. <laughs> so that is pretty cool stuff. Again, like uh, Jim says, great uh, radio, but we'll have a picture of that on the Instagram. Okay. Yeah, well, let's describe it. So the 2017, uh, the front label is basically, it, it's a cat breathing fire, uh, hugging the White House to death, it looks like. <laughs> uh, people are running for their lives, the White House is on fire, monuments in the background looking on it's pretty awesome but then you pull back and it's an even more colorful picture of what looks like a cat with green lasers coming out of its eyes <laughs> so i mean just a really cool really imaginative artwork on all of these bottles and that has been the case every single year that they've put out big hugs and that's part of the fun of it and also if you're a fan of us on social media we will have every single big hugs label posted leading up to this episode so if you haven't seen these posts go back Give us a like on Facebook, check out our Instagram, scroll back through, and uh, check out all the big hug labels. And if you ever get a chance to visit their tap room down in uh, on Lincoln in Chicago, they've got quite a bit of artwork in the tap room, and it's a very neat place to visit. So let's talk about the beer itself. Let's uh, let's put this bad boy on the taps and uh, and see what we get. So this is we're going straight to the the straight to the source here. We're going for the regular big hugs, the Imperial Coffee Stout, and that Black Matter Coffee is really coming through nicely on this one I, when you don't have the vanilla to take away from it the dark matter really shines what do you guys think i agree 100 percent. it's like that additive of the vanilla it just took away from it oddly enough and this is just you get that like that real nice smoky are you getting uh too much alcohol like you did with the vanilla no no and i don't know why because it's the same abv and you think you would get a little sweeter with the vanilla but that was way more boozy and this is not i'm not getting that boozy at all actually i think the coffee favorite flavor is uh very pronounced and it's it's actually quite delicious you know yeah. like the vanilla in the last one overpowered the coffee mm-hmm. a bit this mm-hmm. one's right there and i, I agree with uh matt that 
the head brewer's interpretation that this is a very drinkable stout that can sneak up on you. Yep. Yeah, I don't get a lot of the big roasty notes. It's very smooth from start to finish. A lot of coffee flavor, but none of those big roasty notes, uh, the, the kind of burnt ends, there's none of that in this beer. Yeah, drinkable is a good way of describing it. And speaking of drinkable, we'll actually be drinking this one with Matt and Kelly uh, in the next portion of the interview. But before we get there, and, and before we crack open the bourbon barrel aged version of this, let's get to some beer news. That's right. Now for this episode's version of beer news. In beer releases, Goose Island launches their new barrel aging program called the Cooper Project this month. The first release will be a bourbon barrel aged scotch ale. The Cooper Project beers will have a limited availability in select states. Let's hope they come to Wisconsin. April 8th, Three Sheeps Brewing celebrates five years of brewing beer. They are having a huge party and a special bottle release. Paid time off is brewed with coffee, cocoa nibs, and vanilla. The party and bottle sales begin at 11 a.m. in Sheboygan at the brewery. April 3rd, Kansas City's Boulevard Brewing starts distributing in Wisconsin. Try their Tank 7 Farmhouse Ale, Bourbon Barrel, quad or unfiltered wheat beer which are staple shelf beers be on the lookout for rare releases rye on rye on rye or saison brett and seasonals snow and tell oak age scotch ale and bob's 47 oktoberfest in brewery news april 7th broken brett brewing milwaukee opens their doors they're quoted as saying we are obsessed with beer and baseball these are the two two things that get us up in the morning besides friends and family on april 14th 414 day Paps Brewery opens its doors and starts brewing again in Milwaukee. West Allian Brewery in West Dallas is very close to a proper opening. A date should be announced within a couple of weeks. In beer festival news, Saturday, April 30th is the Isthmus Cask Ale Fest in Madison, Wisconsin, a yearly tradition that features exclusive cask-conditioned ales from your favorite regional breweries. Also on Saturday, April 30th is the 8th annual Northwest Beer Fest in Chippewa Falls. Sample from over 150 varieties of craft beer from over 50 breweries. Once again, April 22nd will be Stein and Dine at the Wisconsin State Fair. Make sure you stop by the physics booth and visit with the tap takeover podcast we will be tapping three special beers one at 230 is 19 from central waters at 315 the petrichor a russian imperial stout aged over two years in elijah craig 12-year barrels the third beer which we will be sampling at four will be big hugs by half acre which is also featured in this week's episode so make sure you stop by the physics booth at stein and dine to see the tap takeover podcast crew and make sure you mention your favorite episode and what you liked about it to get your special sample join the tap takeover posse and this has been beer news all right thanks andy another awesome edition of beer news let's get back to the tasting next one is big hugs but this one's a little special it's it's the barrel aged edition and this one's very smooth definitely the booziness gone uh the smell is intense yeah super huge bourbon uh nose bouquet coming off of this Uh, i don't know what bourbon barrel they used but it's a spectacular bourbon because it's really tasty yeah everything you think of the um the barrel aged beers you definitely get here you get that smell you get the 
smooth taste, but I really want to kind of discuss with you guys, because this is a good example of what Matthew was saying, don't age this beer. And I do agree this beer is great now, but I guess, what do you guys think? Should let this sit for a year? I mean, do you... I, don't I, would, know if... I would disagree about 75%. Just because... I don't know about it's... all that. I say I would disagree. <laughs> well, it's, it's not as... It's not, like you said, it's it's not as viscous and as syrupy as a, as a regular barrel-aged stout would be. So I think a lot of that viscosity has to do with holding in, holding in the flavor profiles of the beer as well. This is quite light for a stout. I think a lot of that is going to fade away over an extended period of time. I'd probably leave this in my cellar maybe like three years max. Beyond that, I think the barrel might fade away more. And the aftertaste, I, I guess you do get some booziness now that I'm having a couple sips yeah, from I, it. Yeah, I was actually kind of curious yeah. when you said that yeah. there was no booziness. Like, no, I'm, I'm getting a lot of booziness. Mostly it's it's the, the bourbon coming yeah. through. So it, you're getting that nice vanilla note and, and a little bit of oak, but yeah, there's there's definitely some booziness no, there. No, I guess, yeah, my first couple of sips were very smooth. It was more based on the taste, but after a while you kind of let that sit, you know, in the back of your throat. And it's like, what I'm trying to say is as the journey, when you're drinking the beer, that last aftertaste is just, that's when you start getting that booziness. That's when you start feeling that and you are getting booziness on. Really, I, I think it's almost as much as the vanilla one. This really takes me back to our first episode when we were doing the the Black Fridays, the, the yeah. bourbon barrel aged uh, Russian Imperial Stouts from Lakefront Brewing. Some some similarities, but I do feel like I, I kind of agree with Matt on this one. This one might be just ready to go. Some of those bourbon barrel aged Imperial Stouts, you want to put down. You want to lay those down. You want to see where the flavors develop. This one feels ready to go. Maybe I would lay this one down for a year. I do have another bottle, so I may just lay it down for a year, but I think this one's ready to go. I agree with Alex. I think this is ready to drink right now. To me, it has a lot of the smoothness that an aged beer has. Uh, the bourbon flavor is really coming through. It's tasting really delicious. I think given the base beer that it's off of, you're not going to get much aging this. So we, so me and Andy are thinking we age this a little bit? Yeah, I may agree with Jim on finding out what kind of bourbon barrels they age this in. You do get the bourbon a lot, but I'm not getting so many of the barrel notes as you'd normally get. It's a very smooth drinking beer, and as Matt said, that's what he designed this to be. Well, their goal, I guess, is to have a drinkable big beer. They, I, I still would love to take an edge off this. And it's 12%. I mean, it's 2% even bigger than the uh, other big hugs, and it's not nearly as boozy as it should be. And that's actually one of the really fun parts about the podcast, and this episode specifically, is this is a little bit of controversy for what we do. Our breweries here in Milwaukee are talking about this uh, symbol that they're putting on the bottle, letting you know whether to age it or not. It clearly seems as though Matt would not put that symbol uh, on this beer. And that's a little bit controversial because we talk about laying down beers and and the importance of doing that with some of them, but it sounds like we're kind of split. You know, do do what you will. Uh, You know, I think Kelly in the next portion of this interview calls it a, a little bit of an experiment on her part, laying down beers and that kind of thing. And we actually brought a bottle of the regular Big Hugs down with us to Chicago just to try it with the master brewer and and the sales associate Kelly with an eye and uh, let's see what Matt Young and Kelly think about the Big Hugs Coffee Imperial Stout. Okay and we're back and we have a very special beer in front of us. It's the Big Hugs and we always take this opportunity because we have you here and I guess what what should we be tasting when we try this? Yeah so overall Big Hugs is our goal with Big Hugs is to make a 10% alcohol coffee imperial stout that you could drink pint after pint of. (laughs) 
until you know you reach your own personal limit and choose to stop drinking it. We wanted to avoid the the like super thick syrupy 10% sort of imperial stout and and make it still so that you can enjoy a larger quantity of the beers. Yeah, so overall the alcohol I think we try to keep it pretty well hidden. The malts are very roast forward and then the coffee sort of layers another bit of roast and and chocolate and and bitterness in into that. So it's just yeah, just a lot of coffee, a lot of roast, a lot of chocolate, but still pretty approachable, not super thick, still can enjoy it in a social setting. Well, cheers to enjoying in a social setting. Cheers. 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 Do you guys know how this beer was like kind of developed? No, we 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 want to know. Yeah. Um, We would love to know the story behind Big Hucks. Where where did this come from? Back in the day. So when we were first starting out as a pretty small brewery, uh, our friends at Dark Matter were kind of in the same boat, a small local coffee shop trying to start roasting their own beans, get a little bit more. They wanted to do it themselves and get the highest quality beans they could get, source them themselves. And we feel like they were kind of doing with coffee what we were doing with beer. So how do we help each other? At the time, everyone was coming out with Doom Slayer and, you know, like the biggest, most badass beers they could with the craziest metal names that they could. And, you know, uh, I feel like our owners and Dark Matters owners are pretty modest and they just like to drink beer and have a good time. So it uh, kind of came out of this honest need for an imperial stout with a cat on the label, giving hugs to everybody. So kind of just going in the opposite direction of everyone else. You know, that's kind of what we like to do. We want to make sure we're brewing the best beer that we can, but to help our own brewery and to help their coffee roastery kind of come together as this like Chicago couple, you know, and that's just kind of where it started. And it's just grown every year since. Yeah, so the cool thing about the coffee part of this beer is that it's always been like extremely collaborative effort yeah. with dark matter rather than us you know just buying dark matter roasted beans and doing the extraction ourselves dark matter does the extraction with us and for us and we work together on the variety and the type of roast and, and we settle on all all of the specifics ahead of time and then traditionally historically especially when we were brewing smaller batches of this beer there would just be a huge party around the actual coffee extraction process and, really good and some of it <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, it, w- it would, because it would take 12 hours sometimes to do all the extractions that we were trying to do, especially if we were, say, pulling uh, espresso shots as the vast majority of the coffee that was going to go into the beer, or doing individual pour overs as all the volume of coffee that was going to go into the beer. And so they would come to the brewery, set up shop, bring all their, their equipment, and just spend the whole day pulling shots or doing pour overs and collecting, slowly collecting the coffee into half barrel kegs so that we could add it into the beer so it's yeah it's a super collaborative relationship that we have with them on this beer so you've got this this great party for the for the coffee portion of it and then you also have an amazing party for the actual release of the we beer we like to party yeah, <laughs> yeah faker likes to party yeah. pro tip <laughs> from we'll the the podcast. Uh, so andy and i were actually there this year uh, we were yeah. there for the big party i mean you guys had a, a dj in the rafters you guys are handing out samples as you walk in the building if you get a chance uh, 
I'm, I'm sure it'll be this coming December, probably early yep. on. Second you, week, second yeah. Sunday every year. Okay, second Sunday of December. You got to come check this out. It's The line starts very early, so you got to be ready. By the time we got there, about three hours before you guys opened, it was, it we was were, already we fairly... alley. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it had already rounded the block, and then by the time you guys opened, it was completely down the block. It might have even stretched over two blocks. It's You got to get out there early, but it is, it is totally worth it. Along with that, you're getting the big hugs, the, the coffee imperial stout, and then three different uh, variations. Can you tell us about some of the variations and some of the thought that goes into those? Yeah, this past year, well, two years ago, we did our first variation, and that was vanilla big hugs. So we decided to make a batch where you added vanilla beans into the beer along with the coffee. And then this past year, we took it a little bit further and we, we offered up several different options of, of the beer. And we just kind of put our heads together and thought about different ways that we could riff on the beer a little bit without getting totally away from the coffee component of it. One of them was to age the beer in bourbon barrels. One was to do the vanilla batch again. And then we did a, a, a weird one where we added cocoa nibs and then we the coffee that was extracted was all espresso. And each shot of espresso had a pinch of salt in... A pink Himalayan salt. Yeah, pink <laughs> Himalayan sea salt. So drinking the espresso was almost impossible because of the level of the brine in the espresso. But when it went into the final beer, it just sort of had a subtle impact on the mouthfeel and just made it made you salivate almost a little bit to sort of smell and taste the beer and you, you know you maybe wouldn't be able to identify it as oh that beer is salty right off the bat but it changed the impression of it a little bit yeah the, the salted uh the salted pretzel espresso i think is the <laughs> is, is that one it, it's actually my favorite this year yeah. I, I think you guys cool. did a really really good job with that one that one was really fun to make we actually had the three different coffee shops that dark matter has in chicago all three of the facilities were making the individual espresso shots at the same time we did a live stream while we threw a party here um so it was really fun to just have have everybody on board for a few hours, you know, making these espresso shots together and then putting it all together and just having that camaraderie with another business is really awesome. You know, just to like share the beer with them and share our good times is that's what it's all about. So as a, as a fun, silly question, uh, does somebody actually own that cat? Is it one cat? Uh, do you guys do I would a, say Phineas. Do you guys do a cat search every year for the best cat for the label? What? Our graphic designer loves cats. Awesome. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, because every year you guys do like a different banner. Uh, the different cat's scenario. either fighting zombies or tearing down the White House. It's it's really fun. You guys really get kind of silly with it. And, and as beer consumers, we love that. That's I mean, Good. that's it. You know, people were taking these imperial stouts so seriously, you forget that it's just beer. You kind of give them a jab, too, because you yeah. put that cat in, like, semi-violent situations as yeah. well as hugging sure. something. He's giving hugs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't awesome. know his own strength. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to give you a hug. <laughs> so for future reference for our listeners, how many variations um, did you do last year? Just so in case people from Milwaukee want to come down and stand in line with everybody else, how many tickets did you hand out for variations last year? Mm-hmm. Ballpark thing went so well. I can't but I remember. Think yeah, I think... We probably did... It was a 15-barrel batch of each of them, right? Yeah, I want to say somewhere between 50 and 100 cases yeah. of each Not of the, the variants. Yeah, so very limited. Yeah. Not much. And even, you know, that alone
alone is quite an undertaking to, to produce, but it's a very limited amount. Sure. So, so get here early next year, everybody. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's worth it. They're going to give you free coffee, food, and you get to sample everything before you buy it, too. And yep. some other weird variations that we do in, like, yes. one-off kegs. We did yeah. uh, a maple syrup version. Was there a hazelnut one, too? Oh, yep. yeah. That was delicious. Toasted, uh, yeah, toasted yeah. hazelnuts, I think. And that's the fun stuff. I mean, you won't get that ever again, really. Yeah. That was Unless a, you're there. Complete so. one-off. A legacy series, I guess ah. we'll call it. <laughs> a legacy kid. He likes that. <laughs> All right, well, I want to actually jump back to the uh, Lincoln location. And when we were there, we noticed the uh, the big tank with all the stickers. Give us the story there. We'll, we'll share the picture with our uh, posse. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, if you got any story about how the, that kind of came to develop, it's really impressive. Yeah. yeah, the tank, that tank is our hot water tank mm-hmm. that we use for brewing. So it's got this big white plastic insulation wrapped around it, which uh, is perfect for stickers sticking on. And I think it came from Ska Brewing when we, we bought that brew house from Sky out in Durango, Colorado, and it might have come pre-stickered to some small degree, not totally sure on that, but then for a long time when we would have our tours, our weekly Saturday brewery tours, the, the cost of admission to the tour was to bring a sticker to put on, on the tank. <laughs> That's neat. Now the tank is completely covered and stickers are covered over other stickers for layers deep. There's also a picture of my mom on there, her school picture, so if you guys ever get a chance, <laughs> yeah. oh, look man, for Playtech. <laughs> so we just wanted to talk about sales a little bit. Since so Half Acre has a lot of quick moving, sought after limited releases, like your Double Daisy Cutter, the Galactic Double, obviously the Benthic and Big Hugs. I think Benthic was brewery only though. How do you guys determine distribution for those? Is it based solely off, off of uh, movement of your staple beers in locations or does anything else play into that? There is a lot that goes into it. We have some really great accounts that have been loyal to us for a long time. Obviously, they're going to get first dibs. You know, when someone's been pouring your beer every week for six years, you gotta you got to show them the love. You know, during Big Hug's release, they'll usually get first dibs on a half barrel versus a six barrel. Then there's some really cool places that would love to keep a consistent handle, but they just only have four lines, so they like to rotate. But it's really fun to pour beer there when you can. So there's kind of give and take. We kind of call them our bread and butter. Um, you know, the people that are just our good friends, they just they vibe well with us they do what we want them to do with our beer you know they keep their lines clean they understand branding is important adding the beer name to the menu helps sell the beer versus keeping it off the menu there's a lot that goes into deciding who gets what a lot of it is based just on purely sales so yeah if you have the consistent line you're probably going to sell more beer at the end of the year, and you'll probably get the specialty beers. And I think um, sales would have more to do with the actual like liquor stores and craft beer stores, correct, than they would the bars? Um, it goes up and down. I mean, every place is really important to us, and it just depends on what we're releasing. You know, we, we care just as much about our binnies and our indie off-prems uh, because they, they do what they have to do to sell the beer, and they do it in a good way. That's really what... I feel like beer sells better organically. You're gonna put the beers that sell well on their shelves. If one doesn't, then they're gonna remove it and be honest with you. And then if you know the beer starts selling better, they're gonna get that extra case of double daisy cutter. A lot of these batches too are extremely small volume and it just 
it would not make any sense to, to try to send it out beyond yeah. our brewery doors. If you can't sell Daisy Cutter and Gone Away and Pony, then you probably shouldn't get big hops. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a, You're kind of worthy. a give and take. We don't want any beer to sit and get old. So unfortunately, it's a tough conversation at times. But you know, then they move your beer to a more visible area. Sales start to take off, and then they get those beers they want. Do you guys do any self-distribution? Uh, no. no, legally we cannot. All right, so that's a, that's a law in Illinois that yeah. limits you completely out of any self-distribution. Correct. Uh, you cannot self-distribute <laughs> after producing over seventy-five hundred barrels a year. Seventy-five hundred—that's a pretty low number. Yeah. Okay. Is. Well, I think we'll get back to that in in a little bit. But <laughs> one of the things we've had is continuing on with big hugs is cellarable beer, and most of your beers that you brew are meant to be drunk right away. You work really hard to keep your beer as fresh as possible. But can Big Hugs be cellared? And what other beers are you making that can be aged? Um, I would uh, I would actually say that I would not recommend holding on to any of the beers that we make. There are I would second that. There are there may be some exceptions if we as we start to release some of the sour beers out of our sour beer project. But for the most part, beers that we're releasing, we're releasing them because we think they taste the way that we want them to taste when we release them. If that means that Big Hugs needs to sit in a in a fermenter for an extra month to really round out and condition and come into its prime, then that's probably already happened before the beer is in your hands. It doesn't need to happen, you know, in, in your basement because we've already taken care of that part for you. I understand that people are always gonna gonna have that thought like, oh I wonder if the flavors will develop or change in a good way. I'm gonna buy a couple bottles, put one away, I'll drink one now and drink one later. And if you want to do that, go for it. But I, I personally would would uh, just recommend drinking it when we release it because that's when we think it's it's at its best. I'm really glad you mentioned the sour projects because we we were at the, the Lincoln location. We were talking. To, we had a big big shout out to Tom and Eric because mm-hmm. they were talking about Heavy yep. Gem from the beer store, and yep. they were just amazing. They were so knowledgeable. I mean, we obviously did not have the recording devices there, but so we're going to repeat a lot <laughs> yeah. of the stuff. Yeah, and t- Tom gave us a little mini tour of the uh, the, yeah. the production facility over there. Nice. Great, great guys. Cool. Yeah, but. Can you kind of tell us about Heavy Gem? It's, it's just sounds so unique. It just sounds great. Yeah, it's, it's a marketing strategy that we have not come across before. The collaboration as an actual brewery kind of idea, it's very new. So if you guys could lead us through that. Yeah, it's very very heady. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we're all sitting down. Just tell us. And I don't I don't think that, yeah, I think it's, it's intentionally vague. I don't really have the answers even myself for what exactly Heavy Gym is, but basically it's just an ongoing collaborative brewing project between uh, Half Acre and, and Tired Hands where there are no rules and the idea is to brew beers that are mostly going to go through our wine barrel cove that we have. So there'll be mixed fermentation, sour beers, and then uh, Heavy Gym beers will be brewed at each location simultaneously and released simultaneously so that you know the same beer is released at both locations but uh, what I thought your entire yeah what I thought but, was unique inherently just because separate locations they will be a little different correct I mean that's what kind of what Tom and Eric they're saying. produced in, in they're, they're produced totally separately so they're distinct batches of beer where we tried to follow the same recipe together as heavy gem brewing company they were brewed in different both water. locations mm-hmm. and yeah different whatever brew house. whatever variations might exist and then we also our, have, yeah we also have to mention there was a sour, and then what was the other one? Du- double IPA. And it'll come. That one will come in cans, and the other one will come in bottles. And that's how you'll do it. In and there is no time. It could be 
in two years. It could be in a few. Yeah. We've been working on this project mm-hmm. for about At two years, two years now. Yeah. Um, and we just released the yeah. first beers from it. So. Yeah. We thought it was going to get released last August, and you know, it came out now. But beer's ready, especially when you're working with wild fermentation. Beer's ready when it's ready, especially with blending and everything. But yeah. I think it came about just because those guys are making really great beer, and they're at about the same time in their lifespan, maybe just like a year or two younger as as we are and I know that we can learn a lot from them and I think they have a lot of things they can learn from us so I think it's beneficial for both companies to continue to work together as much as it's brand new and you know I mean we we've kind of not really been in the dark on it but we've known its existence there's still so much more to it and it's brand spanking new I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to just make whatever we want and not have to have the half acre logo on it you know so we have this totally new body of beer that just allows us to not have that pressure of half acre. We got to keep the daisy cutter going. We got to keep the gonaways, the Vallejos and all this fun stuff. But, you know, working on a barrel project, just it's something that we've always wanted to do. But for so long, we just couldn't. Well, one thing that I found really interesting about it, and you guys have done a number of collaborations over the years, but what Tom was describing, and, and maybe this is a different sort of collaboration, uh, and maybe you guys can speak to that, but he was describing a process where you guys would do quality assurance on some of these barrels, where they would send you some of theirs, you would send them some of yours, and kind of test and, and figure out, are we at the same point in the brewing process on both of these, and which barrels need to get dumped, which ones do we need to keep? I mean, how much how much of that goes on during the collaboration process when you're when you're doing it completely separately yeah i mean for this first first go of it we we sort of made our rough draft of the beer which you know making sour beer is a little bit different because you're working on a totally different very long timeline uh we blended our beer up after it was fermented and and aged and we shipped a bottle of of our first draft out and then they did the same sent what they had to us we sort of compared them tasted them see how because i was just you know we were all i think we were all just very curious about how closely they were going to match up so many variables in place with something like that especially with the sour especially with the sour beer that uh, we were just curious like how how close are they going to be surprisingly they were they were pretty close and we were both really happy with each other's batch yeah so that that was just sort of the back and forth of it and also i will say that you know heavy gem is its own thing with zero constraints uh, but we're we're also doing these things as half acre as well so that's a, another confusing layer <laughs> to all this but half acre is also producing sour beers and it's not limited to a heavy gem project we'll just we'll have our own distinct set of sour beer offerings that'll be coming up soon this year and we also will be operating with really without constraints so we we just wanted wanted to have you know this other project where there was a totally different set of no constraints <laughs> versus our project with its own no constraints yeah no you guys are right on the cutting edge and it's it's fun to see you guys kind of figuring it out as you go along yeah keep yeah. ourselves busy so do you yeah, think sure. the the sour that you're going to come out with is going to be that exception to the rule that one can be aged because inherently sours are known can be aged 20 years yeah know? it'll be um we will have held on to the beer to the point that we're ready for you to drink it already going to be mean, two years gross. in the making so that's that's large that's like nine or ten months of actual in the barrel time conditioning aging another three to four months in a blending tank where all the barrels have been married together everything stabilizes and condi- conditions further then we bottle it and then there's another three to four months <laughs> of letting it condition in that bottle 
and making sure that we're happy with the final, final, final product, and then giving it a little longer time just to <laughs> double check that we're cool with it before we release something like that. So all the checks have already been done. The beer is, is in great shape and we're ready for you guys to drink it when when we decide to release it and especially with a, a wild beer that's got you know all the microbes and bacteria that the bacteria and yeast that went into that are still in that bottle i have no clue what's going to happen in the next five years yeah. of, of aging the bottle so it might turn better it might turn worse who knows all all that we're sure of is that it's in good drinking condition when we decide to release it i would encourage fine do whatever you want to do it's your beer after you purchase it but what we're saying when we release something is drink it now it's better fresh pretty much guaranteed uh, unless you get that perfect time maybe nine months after you release that beer but you're also working with you know with big hugs in particular coffee do you want to drink old coffee you know coffee fades it's not going to be present in a year versus like it is the those first two weeks that we release it i don't know i i would just encourage everyone to don't hoard beer yeah oh, <laughs> treat it as an experiment if you want but you know yeah. you, you pay you pay a pretty pretty high dollar for some of these beers and, and it's a shame when you like find it in your closet three years later and it's totally past its prime and you're like, oh, I mean, I we've all done it and i think <laughs> you most guys of are us really going to get us in trouble experience. right now <laughs> <laughs> It goes against everything we believe in. It's kind of fun sometimes if you get four (laughs) bottles of big hugs. You know, you drink one that night, you save one for a month from now, you save one from, you know, half a year from now. Fun, you know, experiment. But don't don't bet it's going to get better. I wouldn't, at least. Not at all. I'd say except for probably the barrel-aged one. Maybe that one you're going to get some extra qualities out of the barrel. Uh, Uh, It's not in a barrel anymore, so what else are you going to get? Pro tips from uh, from Big Hugs on uh, No, we appreciate that because that's one of the questions that always comes up. How how long do we age it? I mean, when does it turn bad? Um, I mean, we've experimented with our own like four or five years six i think the last podcast i think was seven eight years for one of them it was still good but it's like when Wasn't one of them good? one of them mm. after four years i think we said i think this one turned yeah like mm-hmm. so yeah that's gonna the, happen the, a lot the cardboard papery yeah. flavor the, the happen, yeah. oxidation was, was definitely yeah. starting to come in so it's a gamble play. definitely a gamble. I mean, basically what you're doing when you age beers you're you're asking for it to get oxidized and certain beers maybe benefit from slightly Light oxidation. Uh, it's a real, a real crapshoot as to like overdoing it or, or if it's even going to improve the quality of the beer in any way. You're asking, you're, you're basically asking for the beer to degrade and then hoping that it's going to taste better through those processes before then suddenly it tastes really bad. Find some sweet spot in there that might or might not ever exist. It's, it's tough though because I mean even your variations on the big hugs, you guys do the wax dip. So it gives the person the impression that it's it's sellerable, it's going to keep some of that oxidation from happening. But you guys are saying just just go ahead and just enjoy the hell out of that. Yeah, totally. Life is the short. The wax man. is pretty. <laughs> oh, the wax is pretty. That's what it is. Okay. <laughs> so I, I don't quote me on that. <laughs> be quoted. A couple of years ago, Half Acre ran into some legal issues regarding your two brew house facilities. Uh-huh. Basically, you had two working breweries, but some regulatory statute prevented you from transporting and selling between the two. What was the process like trying to get the law changed to accommodate your circumstances, and what other regulatory impediments has your brewery overcome o- over the years? So at the time when we first got Balmoral and we started 
started actually packaging beer here, we found out that legally we could not distribute beer from one location to the other, which has to do with the three-tier system. You cannot exist in all three tiers. You cannot so, be a supplier, a So distributor. you guys have a similar three-tiered system that we do in Wisconsin? Yes. Okay. Uh, pretty much it's exactly the same. There's probably different laws and regulations, certain little things Well, you guys do there. have nanobreweries in, in Chicago, which we don't have in Milwaukee. So th- I, there must be little variations in the law, but in, in its basic form, you guys do have the three-tiered system. Yes, but we could not exist within more than, I believe, one of those tiers. So at the time, there was a certain amount of barrelage, I believe, as a brewery that can you can send to yourself, but we had already maxed that, so we weren't allowed to send beer to ourselves uh, because we were already over that capacity. So I believe they got the capacity raised, so you can send to yourself as, as long as you have three less than three places. Okay, I believe that's what I gathered at least. So you know what we could have done is sent it to our distributor and bought it back to, from ourselves no, and but, then sold it. But you're losing all the. But then we're losing. Yeah. You know what's weird everything. is like you're dealing with this. You guys work for the brewery and you're still kind of like not sure what's going on. Yeah, that's, I mean that's what's amazing about this whole system in general. That we know a little bit about it, but we every time we try to explain it or try to understand it, we're like, I, you know what? It's called three tier. We can pull Gabriel we down. He's the one that actually worked with the guild to get the legality changed, which he's done before. We were the first brewery in, in Illinois to have a little store. So we had to create our own permits to get that because wow. it was not a thing. You couldn't go to a place, try a beer, and then buy it without having a whole taproom permit. That's the cool part about having awesome owners who know a lot of really cool people. And, you know, Gabriel was the secretary of the guild for a little while, I believe, when those uh, regulations changed. Um, but the biggest thing was we couldn't exist in two of the tiers. So we had to be a supplier. So it's supplier, distributor, retailer, retailer. So we at that time, because we're sending it to ourselves, we were a supplier and distributor. What we did in turn was created a sprawler series. That's what we called it. So we made a bunch of bombers on premise to sell instead of cans. And then all of our retailers around the brewery and everyone else got all of the cans. And we sold a buttload of beer that way and just took a little hit at our own place. So you actually mentioned the bombers. Another thing that Tom and Eric said that you're phasing out bombers. Is that correct? Yep. So is that reason or what is the reason for that? Well, A, the quality of beer in our cans is higher than bombers. We can get less oxygen into the package in the can than the bomber so the beer stays fresher and tastes better that way. Additionally, bombers are kind of dead in the market, at least in Chicago. Breaking news. Yeah, breaking news. news. No, actually, we're seeing the same thing. (laughs) The ones we've interviewed, they're going towards cans. It does take quality. It takes a lot to switch over that line from the cans to even 12-ounce bottles to bombers. It's it's a whole process. I mean, the price point's better when, when we talked to uh, Russ Klish at Lakefront, he talked about they really only do their Black Friday series in the bombers now because it, it is such a process to, to turn it over. So special release stuff, obviously you wanted those in bombers, but Big hugs everything else. Big hugs in bombers, but when we're making Double Daisy Cutter, I mean, people want 64 ounces of that beer. You're moving more liquid, right? Yeah, and you can have one and bring two cans to your friends. Uh, I just think that at this point, at least in Chicago's market, bombers are slowly becoming less relevant.
relevant. And you know, you have to keep up with what's going on in, in the beer craze. And people love new shiny cans. We've been canning beer for <laughs> longer than a lot of people in, in the area. We just we we were just limited in not being able to, uh, other than like experimenting a couple times to to have unprinted cans that we would hand label, which is what we've been doing recently. People just love having those four packs. Get your double daisy, you get your tuna, put two cans, you can have a little mixed four pack for your party and then you still have some at home versus when you bring the whole double daisy bomber to your friend's house, it's gone. You no, know? I think it benefits, yeah, consumer and uh, you guys, the, yeah, the quality, the price yeah. and yeah, no, it's great. So one uh, one big focus of our podcast is cellaring beers, which we've, uh, you know, we've already covered Uh-oh. and I, I understand <laughs> That you, you guys are, on that one? You guys, <laughs> you guys are against cellaring. Not against. Well, fully. Not against. Yeah, just you're right. Just don't. More pro. Don't get mad so at us fresh. when it doesn't taste good oh, two years down the no line. No one should. If they're choosing to yeah. do that, that's their, their guess, prerogative. So speaking of folks who do, uh, do yeah. you guys personally have beer cellars? Do you guys cellar anything? Do you have any whales in your cellars? We're what, talking uh, strictly personal. Yeah, yeah. strictly personal. Uh, what do you guys green getting? mammals flopping around? In the <laughs> 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 I have my college. I drive by Shade Aquarium in my Friday afternoon. Shush. <laughs> 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 my college refrigerator has my baby cellar. I try to make sure, you know, you can't keep more than eight bottles in there. So whatever I put in, someone has to come out. Okay. Um, oh, so it's pretty exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So there's some big hugs in there from a couple of years ago. You know, I'd like to also experiment. I just don't encourage people that pay money for those. I did not pay money for those. <laughs> so, you know, it's truly an experiment on that end. But, you know, I still have a small animal big machine in there, which mm. was a Pipeworks collaboration nice. that we did uh, in, in I was like five or six years Chardonnay ago. barrel. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I still have one of those. I have iron brass that was barrel aged, but nice. I don't encourage it still. Because every time I pop one open, I'm like, damn, this sucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking just half acre, but any other beers. Uh, my, my cellar consists of my fantasy football winnings from last season. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Slowly hey, working champion. through. Over here, buddy. <laughs> so, oh, oh, we have two champions in the room. <laughs> well, of course, three. this is the point where Jim puts himself in. over. <laughs> I didn't lose any money. <laughs> nice. So uh, what did you win in your fantasy football league? Like, oh, it was just a hodgepodge of mostly higher alcohol stuff that, you know, the buy-in was a, a fancy bottle of beer. Nice. For oh, that's so over, neat. Over, over a couple that you won. Um, there were a couple beers from the brewery, uh, a couple beers from Firestone Walker, a couple from Toppling Goliath, I think. Yeah, so I, I instantly had a cellar. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good haul. Yeah. All right. Well, I think on that note, we're going to we're gonna wrap this up. It looks like uh, we're out of tuna, and, <laughs> and uh, that means that it's no more beer for us. Uh, so from Alex. Andy. And I'm Jim. Jesus. Matt. Kelly. That's going to do it for us. Thank you so much. So a huge thank you goes out to Matt and Kelly for sitting down with us for the interview and also to Meredith from Half Acre who uh, set this all in motion for us. The last variation of Big Hugs that we'll be trying tonight is the salted chocolate espresso variation of Big Hugs. I got a question for you guys actually. I thought we were going to end with the best one. Not saying it's terrible, but I'm not sensing what you guys had previously kind of described to me. I mean, what do you guys think there's a difference between the what you guys had there to this? Because I don't taste 
least would you... I, I think that's a really interesting question. And I think this may be a case where Matt and Kelly's opinion of the aging process may be vindicated to a certain degree. Um, when you use the, the adjuncts, you know, when you're adding certain things to the beer, those flavors really do fall off quickly. When you're adding bourbon barrel aging, that kind of sticks with the beer. You know, it, it soaks in, the, the beer takes on the bourbon character, the, the bourbon barrel takes on the beer character. You know, there's a, a kind of commingling. But when you're actually just adding the adjunct, sometimes it does fall off. I will say that this does not taste as good as it did at the event. So at its freshest point, this tasted better than it does three and a half almost four months later can you describe i guess what do you think it tasted like before to now okay so what i can what i can tell you about this beer that we just poured out into our sample glasses the salt is almost non-existent right now now see i'm i'm still picking up a little bit of salt but it's it's much more subtle than it was it popped it popped and it made the chocolate taste better uh when it was fresher i mean for me the chocolate's barely there in the back end and i'm still getting a, a lot of the espresso but what i what i can tell you is if you find this on tap somewhere it's obviously going to stay way fresher carbonated in a barrel get it because the explosion of flavor in your mouth will just be delicious i mean it's actually very very good fresh yeah because i'm currently being underwhelmed by this uh, i'm getting some like salt on the back end after it kind of dries off in my mouth but nothing on the front but it's not what there's what some you chocolate there's no explosion there's it's, nothing it's kind of mad right a, now it's a tale of two beers it really is i i would disagree with you on the mat i i still think it's a tasty tasty beer i think the espresso is a little bit different than the than the coffee that they use on on the traditional big hugs so i think that's adding a different sort of flavor i also think that as it warms up it's it's giving off okay. a, a few different notes that it wasn't when it was a little colder so you know one thing that you can do pro tip here from the tap takeover podcast if your beer's been in the fridge for a little too long what you can do is surround the cup with your hands and just kind of warm it up with your own body heat and that'll bring some of those uh, some of those esters and some of those other flavors out of the beer as this one warms up i'm getting more of the espresso i'm definitely getting more of the chocolate but i'll stand by my earlier statement that when the salt flavor has fallen off the pop that it gave the chocolate has also fallen off a bit it's definitely not the same beer that we tasted at the half acre big hugs release event i still think it's a tasty beer if i had to pick a favorite and and let's go around the table here i would say the barrel aged version of the big hugs is far and away the best one. What do you guys think? I'll go with barrel aged as well out of the bomber. If I can get it on tap, which I have as recently as three to four weeks ago, I will will go with the salted chocolate espresso. Yeah, for me, it's definitely the barrel aged. The bourbon was spectacular. This, I'm getting a lot more of the espresso coming through, but yeah, it's just not as tasty as the bourbon. I also agree with you guys. It was that barrel aged one, but I still think I would have aged it a little bit. I still think it was a little boozy, but the best one of the four but i also i want to follow up with this one because this was one of the we had we had three of the four bottles with wax in them this last one that we had was one of them do you think that that should have preserved the taste more than the, to the original don't you think well as they said in the interview uh wax is for decoration yeah the wax really doesn't do anything so does this prove wax. i guess that proves that they have that one right i guess not necessarily uh, you know wax does restrict some of the oxygen from leaving so there is something to it you know there's a, a degree of effectivity that 
that, that it does meet, but I, I would say not always. And especially when you're dealing with adjuncts, it doesn't take a lot of oxidation. It, in fact, sometimes it doesn't take any for those adjuncts to just kind of dissolve. The flavors to just kind of dissolve. <laughs> yeah, the, the wax should absolutely be doing nothing because if it is, then you've got a, a issue with your bottling. It's just something people have come to expect on rare limited release bombers. And if it's not there, they, they don't think it's good. It's all in the eye of the beholder. If they're going to perceive value off a wax on a bottle, I'd be dipping everything in wax in it. I think it is still a good experiment because it aged just that little bit, four months, five months, and it the taste is so different. I just think it's interesting. Definitely an interesting experiment. Yeah. Thank you again to Matt and Kelly for allowing us to spend time with you guys to talk to us about the big hugs and all of the other beers that they have. I kind of wish we could have gotten into some of the hoppy ones. Uh, we're big hop lovers here on the Tab Takeover podcast, and they have some extremely hoppy beers. We cannot emphasize this enough. Get down to Chicago. If you're from Wisconsin, they've made a big blitz into Wisconsin. Go out, get their beers. Get a Daisy Cutter. Get a Navaja. Get a Tuna. Go down in early December. Get a Big Hugs. Check them out. It's definitely worth it. And a big shout out to just the people that work there. We had great experience with uh, Tom and Eric in the tasting room, and they were very knowledgeable. Helped us out a lot. And yeah, it was a good crew. The the food in the tap room is delicious. I mean, they got the science nachos. Just different takes on burritos. So yeah, get on out to the Lincoln location. Check out Half Acre and keep on listening to the Tap Takeover podcast. I believe that might be it for us, boys. I think we might have no more beer. So for me, for Alex. Andy. I'm Jim. Jesus. That'll do it for us. This has been a solid non-fail production. There's no